0: The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. If you are a guest here, my name is Pastor Bill Pritchett. Thanks so much for joining us. If you have not done so already, you're going to want to grab a Bible. And if you have one, you can open up to the book of Romans in chapter 12. So this this past week... Uh, some of you may know that the, the famous author Beverly Cleary uh, passed away. Some say that she's an Oregon native. She's from Portland, so I don't know if that really counts, but you can discuss that in your groups later. But uh, When I was in the fifth grade, sixth grade, and seventh grade, I believe, uh, every year when I had to do a book report in school, I did it on the mouse of the motorcycle, so that's my life hack to any uh, kids watching. If you have to do a book report in school, just do the same book every year. I remember at that time we actually had mice in our house. And so I would leave my little toy motorcycle out and I would like booby trap it. So there was like a string on it. So I could tell if it moved during the night. It never did. So was 104, almost 105. I have no desire to live to be 104. Uh, so my section this morning is, is Romans 12:3 through 8. But uh, well, I have a confession to make. I, I'm going to cheat just a little bit. I'll give you a moment to process that information. Uh, I, I actually want to take a look at verses 1 and 2 as well. And so uh, we're going to read together Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our servicing, to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to gather together like this, to to be encouraged by your word as well as the work that you have done in our hearts, as well as the work that you are still doing in our hearts. I pray that throughout the rest of our time that we work to have a humble attitude, that we can be an encouragement to one another, that our awe of you and who you are be increased in each of our lives. Help us to focus on you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verses 1 and 2 tell us that by the mercies of God, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Then we're told to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that we may discern what is the will of God. When we think about these verses in the context of serving, which is discussed later on in this section, we see what Paul is saying is that first we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So first, we are dedicated and committed to the Lord. We're not conformed to the world and worship of the world, but our focus is on God. Then we get into the topic of the body or the church, that that we should be connected to that body. And that's where we should use our gifts. And he discusses what some of those gifts may be. Yet, we know that there are times when that's not what happens. Sometimes people serve in the church with selfish motives. Sometimes people's minds have not been renewed. Their service is not done to the honor and glory of God. We should take this seriously seriously. This is part of why we at BCC have typically been slow at times with putting people in certain roles, at least when we're talking about an official capacity. Now, to be clear, what this text is saying is that if you are a believer, if you have been transformed by the renewal of your mind, then you should be serving in the body. Now, that may not be in an official capacity, but it does mean that that we should be serving. If you have the gift of encouragement, for example... You should be using that gift instead of just waiting around to be named the Director of Encouragement at some time. It's not an official title, by the way. You're looking for that in the budget at some point. So don't just think about serving as necessarily defined to, to only exist within a particular ministry. But you still serve. So Paul is telling us to, in humility to use our gifts for the good of the body. For the good of the church and to the glory of God, not to the glory of ourselves. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So we, we approach this with an attitude of, Lord, use me not for my glory, but for your glory. So our bodies are to be a living sacrifice. We are to be devoted devoted to the Lord. And then there is also a response to that devotion. And that response is serving or using the gifts to build up the body of Christ. These two things are distinct, and yet they are connected. Now, notice that that nobody is left out of this. Verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone. So to who? To everyone. Then you notice in verse 4, As in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Other translations say, and everyone, or we're all members one of another. Similar other phrasings to this, but again, he doesn't let anybody off the hook. Everybody's included in this. So Paul's encouragement to use our gifts applies to everyone who is a believer. I think this is... Part of the not being conformed to this world, we need to think rightly here. The world will tell many of us, if not all of us, that we have valid reasons why this is not talking about us. We'll say things like, "Well, not during this season of life," or "Not with all that I have going on." It's not me because of you. Fill in the blank. Oh, I'll, I'll serve later on when I have more time, when I'm done with all this other stuff. We can think of all of these reasons, but Paul seems to be saying here, we all, so everyone. Now, is there room for discernment in terms of how much time or to what degree? Well, I would say yes, and we'll touch on that in just a minute. But let's be honest with ourselves with the amount of time and energy that we have. Let's be careful to not overstate or understate our availability. We have an odd habit in this culture of our worth seems to be connected with how busy we are. So we'll say that we're really busy, even if we're not. And, or maybe it's that we really are too busy, but are we busy with the right stuff? So let's just be honest with ourselves. Listen, my goal this morning is to encourage you in your thinking about how to use your gifts and why it's important. My goal is not to add more stress or another burden that you feel overwhelmed I do think that sometimes we need to honestly consider how we use our time. So if you're struggling with this, then talk with any of the people who are here in this room about that. So back to our text. So right after saying this, Paul jumps into thinking rightly about ourselves. So we can think of this as having a a reluctance to elevate one's own judgment. How are we to think about ourselves? In verse 3, Paul kind of tells us the same thing, but one time he focuses on the negative, the don't do this, and then one time on the positive, but instead do this. So first, the negative. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't think too much of yourself. This topic of pride or humility is a common theme in Scripture and in Paul's writings. And if it comes up a lot, then maybe, one, it's a sin that we all tend to struggle with, or at least are tempted with. And or, two, he sees the danger of this sin going unchecked within the church because of the damage it can cause. Pride can take two classic forms. Primarily, we think of the self-elevating braggart, the, the person who tells you how smart they are, all that they've accomplished, all the amazing trips that their wealth allows them to go on. There are legends in their own mind. They may even tell you how great they are, though maybe more subtly, but they go on and on about how they could do a better job than so-and-so at this. Or So this, this may be a way for them to say, basically, I'm better than them. If you have kids, you probably can see this play out at times, especially with small children, like four or five. It can be funny, but... They can very matter-of-factly tell you all the great things that they can do and how wonderful they are. Kids can just sit and list all of their accomplishments, and it can be kind of cute. But let's be honest. If you have somebody over for dinner and the husband goes on and on about the same thing, we find that obnoxious. (laughs) When our girls were younger, I can remember people would say around Anna, when she was like two or three, going, oh, she's so cute. To where Anna would begin saying, oh, I'm so cute. And Jessica would quickly try to come back here and say, well, what really matters is your heart, sweetie. While trying not to laugh at the same time. The other form of not thinking as we ought is more subtle. That of the self-deprecating. Those who self-consciously talk about themselves as if they were nobodies. Sometimes not so subtly, hoping that you'll respond with words of encouragement. Both involve thinking too much of ourselves, or focusing too much on ourselves. Humility is seeing ourselves neither higher than we should nor lower than we should. Humility is seeing ourselves rightly. So in other words, the answer to the problem of pride is not self-denigration. That's still pride. No, the answer that Paul provides here is not you need to stop thinking of, your, of yourself as a big shot and instead start thinking of yourself as a completely terrible person. No, he, he's saying, do not think of yourself more highly than, the, than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, this is one of the ways in which a Christian has a renewed mind. To think of ourselves in a worldly way is just to constantly compare ourselves to others. To think of ourselves rightly in this way is to see ourselves as having value on account of God's mercy and God's grace. That my significance, that my identity, that my value, that my part, that my role within the purposes of God is on account of who God is and what God has done, not on account of what I am and what I'm seeking to do for God. So we can understand and identify pride. Yet, This is not one of our favorite topics. We don't really enjoy talking about pride. Well, that is to say that we we want this for other people. We like when others around us are humble. We encourage that, and we even get irritated if they're not. But we don't like this topic when it comes to ourselves. But I'll be honest and say that I would be hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't struggle with pride, at least to some degree. So it's a reminder that we need, even if we don't like it. But we don't like to talk about it, so we'll just move on. (laughs) Uh, With this section of Scripture, we see this primarily in the context of others. These verses continue to talk about the church, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. So we just mentioned this, but how are we to think about ourselves? So Paul gives us the negative in the first part of verse 3. Don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And now we get the positive advice in the second part of verse 3. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Instead of overestimation, there is to be sober thought. We are to think with sober judgment or to be in one's right mind. It is to be in one's right mind. You see, conceit or thinking too highly is treated as a form of insanity. If you think of yourself the way that you, sorry, if you don't think of yourself the way you ought to think, you're insane. You're out of your mind. I mean, if you're living an illusion about who you are and what your giftings are, and that's not based in reality, that's insane. You need to think soberly. You need to be in your right mind. He says, I'm telling you, don't think more highly than you ought to think. Don't overestimate your value. Don't overestimate your gifts. Don't overestimate yourself. It was a very ugly sin contained in exaggerated self-esteem. So it's basic to the text that he says, don't have an exaggerated opinion of your abilities or your gifts, but rather think more highly or to think more highly than you should. Think soberly. You can think of the word wise, think wisely, think sanely, think rightly, be in your right mind. Don't think too high. Now watch this one, but also don't think what? Don't think too low. Think rightly. Don't go around saying, oh, I'm an awful person. I'm a slug. And when somebody says, no, you're really good at this, to which we respond, oh, it was nothing. I'm nothing. That's a mild form of bragging. Because what you want is for somebody to say, No, you're wonderful. While inside we're saying, (laughs) Go on. (laughs) No, really, keep it up. I love it. (laughs) So don't think too high, but think rightly. Don't think too low, but think rightly. Be in your right mind. Recognize your limits. Keep a proper measure of your gifts. We're not trying to advocate some kind of false humility. But it's pretty odd to think you're something when you're not. Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Another one of those verses we don't always like. So, you know, one of the things you want to learn in your area of spiritual gifts is this. Don't have an exaggerated opinion of what you can do or your gifts. Think realistically or wisely. There's no room for exaggerated self-esteem, whether it comes in boastfulness. I'm one of the greatest. You know, you should probably name a building after me. And on the other hand, don't have that false modesty that says I'm nothing. I'm a horrible person. Right? Don't look at me. But really, what you're trying to do is guilt people in so that they tell you how great you are. Both are unacceptable. Paul continues according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Some suggest that we understand this line as sound judgment comes in proportion to the, to the degree of our faith. So if we have strong faith, we'll think rightly of ourselves. And while I would agree, and I don't necessarily think that's wrong, others point to the fact that the word translated as measure should really be translated as standard. Standard to the standard of faith that God has assigned. So the idea is that God has allotted to each believer a standard of faith by which to measure ourselves, and that standard is Christ. Paul is not asking the believer to estimate themselves according to a changing subjective feelings, but to estimate themselves according to their relationship to Christ. When one sees that Christ is the standard of measurement, they'll not think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but rather think of themselves rightly with sober judgment. It's impossible to think more highly of ourselves than we ought if we are sound on this point. If we truly make Christ our standard, we'll experience the reality that we see in Matthew 5. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This could be paraphrased How happy are those who realize that they have nothing within themselves to to commend themselves to God, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If Christ is our standard, the tendency to exalt ourselves by comparing ourselves with others will be eliminated. Those who pride themselves because they are more gifted than another believer will cease their foolishness when they make Christ the standard of measurement. A clear focus on Christ, then, is the key to thinking rightly about ourselves and should be the goal of our spiritual practice. All of this is a call to profound humility. One key not to miss in this verse, though, is the line that God has assigned. The gifts are given to us by God. We have nothing to boast in. All of our gifts and abilities come from God and are intended to be used to bring glory to God. So this should lead us not to discouragement, but to praise of God. So we are to love God well. And from thinking rightly about ourselves, we move on to verses 4 and 5, to thinking rightly about others in the church or fellow believers. Verses 4 and 5 say, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and are and we all belong to each other. The word as at the beginning of verse 4 links closely with the, with verse 3, because when we think rightly about ourselves and Christ is the standard, we'll be able to accurately think about those within the church or the body of Christ. Verse 4 tells us that we all have different gifts. Did you know that? How do you feel about that? If we're honest, sometimes we like that, but sometimes we don't. This is why Paul started with talking about our pride. We sometimes want the gift that somebody else has. Or we think that we could exercise their gift better than they do. And maybe there are times when there's an element of truth to that. And yet, we may not be in a position to use that gift. We may have several gifts and God may be using a different gift of ours one that is maybe less glamorous. Selflessness is important for using your gifts for the good of the church. And the recognition that we all have a particular role and that we're using those gifts to serve the body and fill the needs within the body. It doesn't work if everyone is trying to fill and serve in the same role. We can think of an orchestra. It doesn't sound good when you first arrive and all the people in the orchestra are there and they're warming up. They're all playing their own parts. That's not a beautiful noise. When they're each doing their own thing, it doesn't necessarily sound pleasant. It's not a beautiful noise if all the participants are trying to outdo one another or they're all trying to do their solo at the same time. The beauty comes out when each understands their role and their part and they contribute to the collective work. And in the context of the church body, they actually work together to build up the body of Christ. And it makes a beautiful noise. So with the sovereignty of God in mind, when thinking about our gifts or our roles, we understand that God has us where is needed for the good of the church. We may desire a different role or to utilize a different gift, but we need to, know, we need to not grow bitter that we're not being used in the way that we prefer. But to trust God and His plans... And it's his use of the gifts that he has given to us. The use of our gifts must be rooted in the gospel. Now, that emphasizes our unity. We're all one. And yet we're all diverse because we all have different gifts and different roles. Now, if you have a body that has a member that says, well, I'm not going to function, then you've got a problem. And that's what he's saying. Everything in the body has to work together Everything in the church has to work together. If you've got parts of the church that aren't functioning, the whole body suffers. So we are one body made up of people who have different gifts. And we're all to use those gifts for the building up of the body. So part of this is our working together as one body. But part of it, too, is that we have to work together when there's an issue within a part of the body. Sometimes our physical bodies, when something is wrong with one part of the body, other parts will step in to compensate. It's not necessarily as good or as effective, but it can work for a time while the other part is being fixed or healed. Yet sometimes in our physical bodies, if they're not sure what's wrong, what do they do? They may look to your head or to your brain. Is there something wrong with the communication from the brain to the body? Jesus is the head of the church. So is there a disconnect or a lack of connectivity from the body to the head? Are you connected to Jesus? So we love God well and we love fellow believers well. Next, we are to think we are to think rightly about our gifts. Let's read verses six through eight. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So in thinking rightly about our gifts, we must consider a few simple truths. One, we all have gifts. No Christian is left out. You may not have one of these specifically mentioned here, though you probably do. But you do have at least one spiritual gift. Isn't that humbling? Number two, this list is not exhaustive, the one we see in Romans. First Corinthians 12, 27 through 28 lists several others. Some have counted 15 gifts lifted in Scripture. Others say that there's 19. I personally think that the spiritual lists do not claim to be an exhaustive list. Number three, gifts are to be utilized. We must understand that spiritual gifts, as verse 6 calls them, are personally administered by the Holy Spirit. And it's in varying degrees and styles. So we should simply, soberly, and humbly exercise them. Verse 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So we all have gifts. We have a function. What is it? We shouldn't think too highly and see our gift or our function or our role as something that is not. But we should see it rightly. And then we should do them. If God gave you a gift and made you a part of a body of believers, he did so with the intention that the gift is to be used. But what can be hard is there's no guarantee that it will be used in the way that that we would like it to be used. There's an intentionality to the fact that we have different gifts there's a purpose so god has has orchestrated our gathering as a church body of believers with a purpose and we are to use the gifts that god has given us given each of us to use for the good of the church and for the glory of god and here's the reality many people within any given church body they do use their gifts and many people do not And if you're one that does not, I would encourage you to consider why that is and how you might start. Again, that doesn't mean that you have to dive in head first. You may have to be wise with time management. There are others who are not here this morning that also do not use their gifts. You could help the church by encouraging them to look for ways to use their gifts. Now, we don't have time to go through this list and discuss each area individually. But the list of gifts we we see here, Alistair Begg summarized it this way, and I like this. He said, if you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Forgive me for not using a Scottish accent to do that. but You can go online and listen to it. But how do we know? In closing, let me touch on this question. How do we know what our gifts are? Has there been a time when somebody says that you're gifted in a certain area and you're surprised? You didn't know that you were gifted there or you've just never thought about it before? When I was in school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do for a job after college. People would sometimes ask me, well, what are you good at? I didn't really know how to answer that question. I didn't know and I couldn't think of anything special. After I graduated, I started working, and I kept finding myself landing in, in roles that had to do with accounting and finance. Some of you find that horribly painful, but I enjoyed it. There were always things that, this was always things that came easily to me. But I didn't realize that they came easily to me. I just assumed it came like that for everybody. Over time, I began to realize that there was something, that this was something that I was good at and I enjoyed doing. Sometimes these can be the questions that we ask. What kind of roles do you typically land in? What are you good at and enjoy doing? But I will say that sometimes the best way to know your gifting is for other people to know you. And then they can share what they see in you. Sometimes our own pride can blur our discernment of our own gifts. This is the reason to have a a mentor or somebody who's ideally more mature in the faith who can come alongside. Somebody in a different season of life who may not have the same blind spots that you do. I'll even take that a step further. I've always liked the model of we should all have a Paul and a Timothy in our life. We should have that person who can come alongside and mentor us. And at the same time, we have someone that we come alongside and can mentor. And in that, we love God well, we love fellow believers well, and we love our gifts well. Then we go to the Lord in humility, saying, Lord, help me to not think of myself more highly than I ought. How many to use the gifts that you have given me for my glory. <laughs> no, for your glory and not my own. Don't pray that. That would be bad. The last time I will be speaking at Bear Creek Church. (laughs) With that, let's pray. (laughs) Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the ladies that have taken the time out of their busy schedules to come here this morning. Not just to hear the words that we share, but to be an encouragement to one another. We do pray for humility. Humility. We pray for discernment in the use of our gifts. I pray that where there are opportunities to even encourage others in the use of their gifts or to encourage others with gifts that they're already using, help us to do so, but to do so in love and with humility. Lord, bless this time. and We thank you that you have orchestrated our gathering together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.